Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. Arif Dean of Mile High Sports, and joining me today is Peter Baugh, the Athletic. We are here at Ball Arena. It is Friday. The avalanche just finished practice. We're hanging out in the media room before the Tampa Bay Lightning take the ice, and we figured we'd get a quick show out here so that Peter can share his thoughts on Game 1 and go into Game 2. So what's going on, Peter? Good to have you back. Oh, it's good to be, good to be back. Good to be back. The last time I believe I was on this podcast, Arif predicted that Nazem Kadri would play in Game One. I don't know what you're talking um. about. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, that did not happen. Um, but seems like he's progressing in maybe the right direction. And um, Andrew Cogliano looks like he's. I mean, the way he was skating and the fact that he was with the fourth line, it, it looks like he he's a real possibility to play tomorrow, which is a good. Good sign for the Avalanche, and then maybe Kadri joins the team sometime later in the series. So it's an interesting time, uh, pretty exciting game one, and um, we could be in for a long series. These two teams are, are pretty good, both of them. Yeah, so let's start with the Cogliano thing. So Cogliano comes in. Who comes out, Sturm or Abe Kubel? Because I have some opinions. Well, so it's tough because I think it might end up being Abe Kubel or Newhook just because Sturm Newhook, plays yeah. center. Yeah. And I think that if we're looking at, I know Jared has said he's confident with Newhook playing center, but I think you've seen that in past games he ha- he's had him on the wing. Um, so I could see maybe something like you do something along the lines of uh, fourth line of Cogliano, Sturm, Obe Kubel, or something like that. And, and that, that keeps everyone playing on their right side. It yeah. has, New- or it has um, Sturm at center. Um, I don't know, but yeah, it's. But you also could take Sturm out and have Newhook at center, or move Sturm to wing and have Abe Kubel come out, or have Newhook stay in and play right wing, and bring Abe Kubel out. Like there's a there are different possibilities there. That was going to be my my concern or question regarding that is if Co- if Cogliano comes back in, do you reunite him or do you keep that line of Lekin and Helm and O'Connor together that looked pretty dang good in game one. Well, I think they probably want to have guys on their on their right side. And today you saw at practice they, they kept that line together. So yeah. I think that's somewhat of an indication. Um, I think that you look at – yeah, I, the other thing I guess that I didn't consider is like just guys could play on their offhand on the, on the fourth line or on the third line. So maybe that ends up happening and they, they kind of try and figure it out that way. But, no, I think that that line will stay together just judging by the fact that they were at pra- – they were – in practice together and that's a funny line because both all of those guys can really skate and really forecheck and none of them can finish particularly well <laughs> so it's pretty funny because they just keep the puck in the offensive zone the whole time and just like create chances that they can't look look for kill mccarr look for kill mccarr yeah. let him do the finishing but honestly like there's a lot of value in that just keeping the puck away from like possessing the puck and limiting shot like that's the best way to limit shots it's not blocking shots isn't the best way to limit shots the best way to limit shots is to just never give up the puck if you have the puck you're more likely i mean the best defense is a good offense that controls the puck and if you have the puck you're more likely to draw penalties and if that's what that line's going to do then that's what that line will be good for i mean sure that's that's the best way to look at it and in an ideal world kadri can play at some point and maybe he winds up on that third line just depending on how limited he is by his injury maybe that brings a little more offense to that line in terms of like point production so we'll see it'll be interesting yeah for sure so uh last thing i want to touch on before we go into game one is nazem kadri so interesting development on thursday to see him skating on the ice there and uh with a stick um where do you think this goes with him is this is this simply a case because it kind of seems like a case to me of 
testing it out, seeing if he can get it done, because it didn't look like he was getting taken many shots from the video that Ryan Rashog shared. It just looked like he wanted to test it out and see how he can control the puck. Yeah, I don't think he's shot the puck much, if at all, yet, from what I've... And Friday as well, because you were here earlier when today, he skated. Or, well, I, I talked to someone who saw him skate this okay. morning and said he was skating pretty hard, but no shots. Gotcha. So that's, I mean, that's the next step in the progression, is can he get any velocity on the puck and shoot it at all? And I think that that'll determine everything i mean because the thing is is even if he can't fully shoot like that well if he's able to pass and play defense and get into those greasy areas in front yep. of the net and like have the ability to tip and do things like that then maybe we see him if he can't do any of that then it's like then there's no point there's yeah. no point but yeah. it'll come down to i think structurally where his his thumb is at and also pain tolerance and like where he's at in that regard and I can't imagine playing through a broken thumb. Like, this is an injury that he would not be coming back from if it this quickly if it was not the Stanley Cup final. Um, but he certainly is trying to get in there, and he's doing everything he can, and we'll see if, if that's enough. I always wonder what kind of damage you can do to a thumb by playing through something like this. I mean, it might lead to future surgeries. It might lead to things like that. But is it something that he would have to be concerned that would become more of a long-term thing if he tries to play through this? Or is it something that he might sacrifice his sacrifices july and august because he wants to play in the stanley cup final. yeah and that's hard to say i mean we don't we don't know the diagnosis so it's hard to know what type of break it is there are a lot of like a lot of different factors in that that i i won't pretend to know because i have no yeah no clue <laughs> but so i was asking you i was i was yeah but i don't know like i mean it's got to be really painful too like in that I, I'm a big believer that, and I'm not saying, speaking with any knowledge of Kadri's situation specifically, I haven't heard much about it other than what I've reported. Um, but if a guy doesn't want to go because he's hurt, he shouldn't have to go. Like, yeah. They, I think sometimes we glamorize playing through injuries a little too much in this sport. Um, and the fact is, if if Nazem Kadri's thumb, if it is absolutely killing him to play, he shouldn't have to play. Um, and I don't know if that's going to be the case, but if it is, I, I don't fault him at all. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it, this is a situation where if he can overcome the pain tolerance or whatever that, that's going to look like, as well as the fact that he needs to be effective in some things. And the reality is these next four, five, six games, whatever the heck, however long the series goes, uh, we're not going to get Nazem Kadri back pre-Evander Kane hit. He's not going to be 100% taking the same shots, doing all that. But if he can provide, like you said, the tipping and playing in the greasy areas and is able to handle the, the puck well... Because and to pass because he's a great passer as well and and defensively he's strong yeah. and that has a lot of value like so, all of those things have value even if he's not even if he's not shooting the puck like you would maybe hope yeah so if he's able to do all those things and you can put him maybe on the top power play or even on the second power play unit um then you know if he's able to handle the pain then i think he will be an effective player but if there's three four five or six different things that are bothering him all at once well now you're entering the territory of the New York Rangers playing an injured Ryan Strom ahead of Capocacco, yeah. and you just don't want it to get there. So I guess we'll have to see. Uh, it was an interesting development to see him skate, and we'll have to see where it goes. And honestly, maybe it's something where he plays in the bottom six as like a wing. Because, I mean, it's going to be hard for him to take faceoffs, I'd imagine, with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think maybe they get creative in how they play them when he comes back in. Like, how many minutes can he play? How, What can he do? Um and we'll see. I, I, I'll be curious to see what they do at the power play because I actually really like Lackadan on the power play because of his yeah. puck retrieval yep. and just ability to like, with him 
on the power play, the puck just never leaves the offensive zone. As soon as they get the puck and it, they get it settled, like if they miss a shot, Lekkonen is somehow right there and he's pressuring whoever gets it. So I think that Kadri at whatever percent he's at is probably not going to be as valuable to the power play if he can't shoot particularly well as, as Lekkonen would be. Yeah, which is why I could see him being on the second power play unit. But in the end, if you have Kadri in the game and he can't take face-offs, he can't shoot as well as he does, um, you have other people that can do that. You have guys that can shoot face-offs from game one. Gabe Landeskog actually led the way with 16, followed by Darren Helm with 13, and then you had 10 for uh, McKinnon and Comfort and 6 for Sturm. So there's a lot of guys that the Avalanche have that can take those face-offs and you know, even if he's in a third line, third line role with a centerman in Darren Helm and maybe Lekkinen on the other wing, for example, that's something that you can work with. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But let's shift it over to game one. So my initial thoughts of game one when JJ and I recorded post game was the Avalanche came out strong. They didn't necessarily have a big lull in the game, but the Tampa Bay Lightning were able to feel it out and come back in. And you can do this with every team, every goal, every game. You can play the if, if, and if game all you want. But I, I did play it with the Avalanche in game one because the reality is two very tough goals for Vasilevsky to let in in the beginning. Uh, two goals that he probably should have had back. And then the third one was a five-on-three power play, which you can't rely on much in the Stanley Cup final. So with that being said... How do you think the Avalanche feel, and, and do you think it's going to be easy to beat Vasilevsky again, knowing that after those three goals, they only had one, and it was a nice play in overtime? Yeah, I mean, I think, what look, Vasilevsky's best goalie in the world. Maybe Igor Shosturkin is the only one in that realm. I think that in some ways, as soon as the Avs got that third goal, it almost became a must-win because you knew that Andre Vasilevsky wasn't going to play that way again. And so that's why when Tampa came and tied it back up I was like the Avs could be in trouble because if you blow that game when you have literally every advantage clearly there wasn't that much rust judging by the way they played in the first Tampa's adjusting to altitude Tampa's tired they've played two long playoff series um, and played much more recently than than Colorado Um, Hedman was having a bad game like with all of that in mind you aren't like Everything added up to the Avs winning that game, and if they had lost it, I think that would have been a tough one. So I don't think Vasilevsky's going to play the way he did in the first period again. I don't think he's unbeatable because the fact of the matter is there's some goals that just goalies aren't going to be able to get if you create well enough, and um, we'll see if Colorado can do that. They're going to have to get a lot of shots on net. They're going to have to get bodies in front to like block his vision. They're going to have to tip pucks and, and make – I don't know, capitalize on like two-on-ones and plays like Burkowski did on his goal. Yeah, and I, and I kind of like what uh, Devontae said about that today. I think it was him that uh, you throw everything on net, and even though you know there was a shot from, uh, was it Comfort? There was a shot from Comfort that was blocked in overtime. Nachushkin was able to retrieve the rebound and made a play and sent it to Burkowski. So as long as you're doing things like that, you can throw Vasilevsky off his game. But to kind of counter my own argument in the beginning of, uh, you know, how many times are you going to put that many goals on uh, Vasilevsky and you know potentially possibly lose the game? Like you were saying, you score three on Vasilevsky, you got to win the game. But to counter that, how many games are you going to have where the Tampa Bay Lightning shut down Makar, McKinnon, and Rantanen off the score sheet in terms of goals? So um, uh, Rantanen was excellent. Rantanen was unbelievable, but neither of them ended up with a goal, is what yeah. I'm saying. So although Rantanen like his he, he basically goal, had it. Yeah, this guy's goal would have been his, and also. Um, 
I mean, he created that lack of play. He was what unbelievable. A, I saw I saw the stats that you put up. I think I used it in the last podcast. The uh, yeah, the, so the numbers it, that he had, the high danger opportunities jarring. with him yeah. on and off the ice, ninety one percent of expected goals, just like some crazy numbers there for Miko Rantanen in Both game one. Both by the eye test and by the numbers, he yeah. might have he might have been the Avs' best player in game one. He was exceptional. Yeah, and deserves a ton of credit. And to see a guy like Val Nichushkin step up the way that he did, it's yeah, you know, again, the well, Avalanche were able to score four goals. They were able to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they did it without a goal from Kel McCarr or Nathan McKinnon. And you know, despite the strong game Miko sure. had, he didn't have one either. Yeah, and, and look at the the deal is is there's also the world in which Nachushkin's the one he hit off the post that goes in and that would not have been a soft goal and Vasilevsky saves the other one and it's the same score so yeah you can play the if game with every you single kind of create your own luck I mean and yeah Darcy Kemper the first goal the miscommunication with Eric Johnson you can play the same thing from the other end of you know yeah. how many times is something like that going to beat Kemper well now suddenly the Tampa Bay Lightning don't even force overtime yeah so it's it's I thought it was a game the Avs needed to win. I, I also like I mean, who knows? Vasilevsky isn't like his numbers there will be a time where he his string of good games will end. Yeah. And like his post game one string of good games will end. And the Avalanche just have to hope that they're the team that can do it. And some of that is stuff that they control, some of that is out of their control and they've just gotta Gosh, I'm sounding so I'm doing all the player cliches now, but they've, <laughs> they've got to like <laughs> get pucks in deep and yeah. blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that's kind of my favorite thing about those numbers. I think somebody tweeted it to me when I when I retweeted Sportsnet's numbers that he's like an 890 goalie in Game One of these uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. He's one and three, obviously, because they swept the Florida Panthers, and then in the other games he's got like a ridiculous record. Is somebody tweeted back and said, "Great." The game one record, that includes the Avalanche. The game two through seven record doesn't. So who cares? Yeah. And that's kind of the reality. The Avalanche could be the ones, like you said, to end that string. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, the goaltending matchup is going to be interesting. Um, but what did you think of Darcy Kemper? I thought uh, I thought you had a good question there with Jared on the way that he was able to settle in after not playing in two weeks. But what were your thoughts of his game? I thought he was mediocre. Um, he was good enough to get the win. I thought the first goal he probably should have had. Um, he either could have poke-checked it or, like, even when the puck was coming towards him, he could have potentially. So He should have poke-checked that, that in my Yeah, that one he probably should have had. Um, the second goal is not his fault, and he actually almost had that if you watch the Unreal. replay. Yeah. Um, he almost made a hell of a save on that. The third goal, I think you probably have to find a way to get eyes on that. Jared said it was deflected. I didn't see a deflection. I, I'd need to. Yeah, I haven't watched angles. the replay. I just know that Sergachev's done that a few times in these playoffs, where he takes those long wristers, uh, those long wristers that find the back of the net. So, um, yeah. not that I'm not that I'm making an excuse for Kemper, but that is something we've seen from him before. Sure. So I thought he was, I don't know, fine. It was probably a C C minus performance. Yeah. I think the question now is: is that what he needed just to like get his get back in a rhythm of playing in a game because he yeah. hasn't played in a game in a while. It's been since, I don't know, whatever, two May weeks. 31st, yep. yeah. May 31st, and then they uh, played again on June 15th, so yeah. a little over two weeks. So I think that, like, that first game of, like, seeing the puck and doing that, like, maybe now that can get Darcy Kemper back to the goalie he was in the Nashville series or the goalie he was in – or the because before he got the stick to the face in the Nashville series, he, he looked great. like he was, yeah. He looked like he, he looked was going to have a hell of a playoffs. Yeah, and if – 
if they can get that goalie, the Nazar are in great shape. If they get the goalie they got in the Blues series, they're probably not going to beat the Lightning. Yeah, and and that's kind of the thing. Like Vasilevsky, we're looking at him as he's going to bounce bounce back from game one. He's going to have a better game. He's going to put that one behind him and move on. But it goes to the same thing with Darcy Kemper. His first game in 16 days or 15 days or whatever, he should have the ability to bounce back, and I think he will. And um, Well, for the Avs' sake, they hope he will because you want him to play better because you're not going to have a lot of games where Vasilevsky lets in three or four goals like that. So uh, the goaltending matchup is interesting. Do you think Frankie's going to get in at any point, or is that strictly going to be only if it's like an injury case? I have no clue. I mean, I could see them playing Franzos if – I mean, if if Kemper's terrible, then you. Yeah. I mean, this isn't a time to mess around. Like. Yeah. You've got to play who you think's the best goalie. I think there's always a chance. I also think there's a chance that Kemper that Kemper plays really well and they never make a switch. But we'll see. Now, regarding the other guys on the Tampa Bay Lightning, Kucherov sick play on the Palat goal. Stamkos and Hedman. Not as effective. Hedman, and Hedman, had, a Hedman had a brutal game, too. Yeah. Um, You're not going to see that very often. Yeah. So what do you think was the case there? Because we can talk about Kel McCarr and Nathan McKinnon not scoring, and I've you know mentioned that a few times, but they didn't have bad games. Kel McCarr was all over the ice. Uh, Nathan McKinnon had some chances. He passed up a couple opportunities. He probably should have and shot he, on. And he got a little unlucky. Colton made a really nice play to like kind of um, break up a shot attempt yeah. when he put his stick in and then Nick Paul did kind of the same thing when he had a look from the slot so yeah I mean Nathan probably like maybe that's one word there are a couple that maybe he wants to get but I thought he I thought he was awesome I thought on the five on three especially I thought he played he played really really well I think um I think that McCarr was okay I didn't think that that was his best game by any means um but yeah Hedman was really struggling I think um you probably aren't going to see that again I think he was the abs forechecking seemed to really like getting getting his way and and was really aggressive and I'm sure they'll watch film and figure out ways to kind of counteract that um Vasilevsky was also interesting just the way he kind of he had some adventures where he'd play the puck and yeah it like it wouldn't go to the right area or whatnot so yeah I mean I think that Tampa's best players did not play the way that they would want. Um, and the Avs' best players, for the most part, had solid games. So I, I'm kind of of the mindset that both teams are going to be a lot better in game two. There was a lot of sloppiness in game one, and I think that that'll kind of shift a little bit. And that kind of brings me to the last thing that I wanted to mention is both of these teams are deep. The Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup these last couple of years with a great third line. Andre Palat, Alex Kalorin, those are the guys that were stepping in, stepping up. We just saw Val Nichushkin. We saw Arturi Lekin in the Edmonton series. And even in that game, JT Comfer, Andre Burakovsky. Do you think this series is going to be, when we remember this series, one way or another, whoever wins it, is it going to be the stars that show up, or is it going to be those deep teams that are, are, going to, are going to be what's remembered, the depth guys? I mean, I think it's always a mix. That's You don't get to where you are without the depth guys stepping up, but you also don't get to where you are without your stars being your stars. I mean, you look at Tampa, you can talk about the shutdown line with Goudreau, Coleman, Johnson, all those people. Um, but the fact of the matter is that Victor Hedman and Andre Vasilevsky are their Conn Smythe winners the last two years, and Nikita Kucherov had an unreal playoffs last year. So you're going to, sure, like, you're, you need your depth guys to, to step up, but you're going to also need 
I mean, Cal McCarr is going to need to play great this series because he's a great player, and you need your great players to be great players. Nathan McKinnon, same thing. Mika Rantanen, same thing. Through game one, they did enough. Mika was amazing. Nate was great. Cal was pretty good. Um, we'll see kind of where it goes from here, but I think it's it's always your best guys who have to drive the bus. But, yes, depth. There will be moments that, I mean, if the Avs win that series, that Andre Burkowski goal goes down in Avs history for a long yeah. time. Yeah, and for sure. He's just kind of a second or third line player for the Avs, so that's not a superstar. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah, this should be an exciting series the rest of the way. This extra day off was kind of interesting right after game one, but from here on out, it's every other day game. Uh, JJ and I will do the post-game pod game two. We'll get to Tampa Bay. We'll try to get Peter on in Tampa Bay. I know there's that day off. It's going to be the NHL awards, and I'm pretty sure that's going to be live in Tampa. So uh, I believe the only I've up for an award is Kill McCarr from the remaining. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I would say there's, what, 50-50 chance he wins it? Yeah, that's still an interesting conversation. That feels like forever ago when we were talking about Yossi versus McCarr, not even the playoff matchup, like the regular season, who's the Norris Trophy winner thing. So, um that should be fun. We'll try to get Peter on maybe that day. We'll we'll figure it out. But myself and JJ will both be on the road. Peter will be on the road as well. So we'll all be in Tampa Bay, and we'll get you guys all caught up on the series. But first, it's Game 2, Ball Arena, Saturday night. If Game 1 was fun on a Wednesday night and the energy that the crowd brought was what it was, I'm super excited to see what Saturday brings because those games are always an extra notch here at Ball. So should be fun. But, Peter, closing thoughts. That's all I've got. Oh, I actually briefly, I thought that the Avs almost jinxed things by playing all the small things <laughs> in the third. Um, before it was. Uh, before they had the lead. I thought I was certain they were going to lose after that. I actually started writing my story as if they lost <laughs> when that happened. Um, yeah. I uh, I remember the Red Wings did that once. They always played Don't Stop Believing and everybody saying South Detroit together and they went ahead and they played that uh, in a tie game, and then the Avalanche scored a goal and added an empty netter. And I'm like, you shouldn't have done it so early. Nope. You got to wait till you have the lead. So yeah. Uh, but that was cool. That was a lot of fun. People were picking up on that on TV. So um, looks like they're getting ready here for the Tampa Bay Lightning to start uh, their media availability. And we are sitting right in the front row of the press media room. So with that, I'll say if you made it this far in this quick little short podcast, bless your pretty little hearts. Let's make hockey for everyone. And from Peter Nariff, we are out, yeah.